0: Adult film stars, sportsman, drag racing, Big Jed. It is the, the aftermath of the million. And as always, the million delivers. We've got stories. We've got winners to celebrate. And yes, just like we do every year, we've got drama. More drama actually came up as we recorded this show. So you get to listen to us respond in real time uh you're fresh off your million dollar race appearance you still have enough vocal cords to record the show so kudos on that
1: yes um, awesome
0: 600 plus entries two two races this year that that on, on the marquee stage had that huge turnout and um two races that you worked H- how do you feel about it
1: man i feel good uh you know actually uh it was a it was a long long week of racing and a lot happening and um, typically, that's where my voice and all that, and my and my mental and my physical is beat up. But had a great team around me. I'm appreciative of Ryan Gleghorn, Steve Riggins, and JJ for all they did to help out, and uh, Jim Gleason even stepped in there and helped some. So appreciate those guys. So Luke, I'm fairly refreshed for uh, for what you know I just come off of.
0: We've got a lot to to get to there, but first, I think it's it's only uh, timely to to hit on a couple of things that we always hate to talk about. We lost. Two, um, two very familiar faces and names, particularly within the, the big dollar bracket racing realm since the last time that we spoke. Um, big Jet, I'll, I'll let you say a few words about Laramie Reed and Don Cox.
1: Yeah, Luke, obviously two uh, very well-liked, very well-known racers. Uh, Laramie Reed out of Texas, Don Cox out of the Knoxville, Tennessee area, uh, raced his familiar shoebox, the branded rat Uh, 55 Chevrolet, just two guys that was a lot of fun to be around, uh, well-respected in our sport, just uh, very approachable, genuine people that uh, impacted a lot of lives in their time. Laramie's uh, cut way shorter than Don's, but um, tragic, tragic, Luke, when you lose two people that mean so much to racing and life, and both of those guys will be missed dearly. And uh, we're certainly sending our thoughts and prayers to their families and their friends that are impacted by these losses, two really hard losses in our sport here in the last several days.
0: We've got OG Million results, stories, drama. We've got tickets punched. We, We review the impending. By the time that you listen to this, they will be going down the racetrack in Las Vegas, the... NHRA Summit ET World Championship runoffs. We do our best to to hit on the representatives from each division. Um, And we have a little bit of fun along the way and a little bit of, I don't know, uncomfortable, unpleasant discussion, but sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that's part of the show. You got a lot to look forward to as a listener. This is a long show. It's worth your time. All that and more, but first. All that and more, but first.
1: BJ North. I was muted. <laughs> All
0: right. It is OG Million Aftermath, Big Jet. As we said in the intro, the OG never fails to deliver. We've got some positive vibes. We've got some winners to celebrate. And then as always, we've got some drama. Let's start with the good. Unbelievable car count. I mean, we were on record for the last two weeks, Big Jed. We thought this would be big. It was bigger.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, Luke, it was, uh, it was incredible. It really was. Um, you know, started seeing posts early, early in the week. That the place was packed. Uh, we recorded last Tuesday night while they were running their warm up twenty grander, and um, we knew that it was an incredible crowd, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It was uh, an amazing crowd that that showed up at Capital City Motorsports Park.
0: What is it? Isn't that, that the the Lorax? And biggering and biggering and biggering.
1: Those yeah, it's way you, above my intelligence level, but those um, of you
0: with with young children reading Dr. Seuss might appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, it uh, actually, I guess for the surrounding events, our predictions were were surprisingly close. That that biggest fifty, which was actually a combined event with the uh, hundred grander that ended up closing the weekend, had six hundred twenty six entries. My guess was six thirty four. Your guess was five eighty seven. We were all over that. It was the yeah. Million you were
1: website. for sure.
0: Yeah, right within eight. I'm impressed with myself. Pretty strong. <laughs> it, it was the million itself that blew us and I think everyone away. Four hundred ninety-six entries in the million. Like I, when we rolled out our guesses, I think you kind of rolled your eyes and thought I was super optimistic at three forty-two. It blew that out of the water.
1: Yeah, because Luke, as we talked a little bit, I think on the show last week, that typically the million crowd is about half of what shows up that since the double the same car deal come along that percentage grew some but uh, this percentage was amazing and, and nobody saw this coming. like I said I picked 303 and you know that that was way before the rush. They were way past that on uh, Thursday night. i knew that number was blown out of the water completely but this year 79.2 percent of the largest field they had entered luke the million dollar race 79.2 amazing
0: that is it blows me away and it it was the biggest ever by a bunch i think uh, you had mentioned that the previous record for entries in the million was 351 again this year's million dollar race 496 made it by far the biggest purse ever at uh, $640,000 advertised to the winner. Obviously that got cut up eventually like it did every year, but the pot much bigger than we're used to seeing at this event. And I guess predictably that created, there's always a buzz around the OG, right? But the increase in participation, the increase in purse, just the flat when they, when they released the dollar figure, the buzz around the race was as palpable as it has ever been.
1: no doubt it was uh the buzz was incredible um the the atmosphere was awesome people were you know hearing hey man we're up to 330 we're up to 350 and as that entry count kept climbing people were immediately was going to the flyer you know if we get you know another 10 it's going to pay this and this and this nobody at least the night prior and the morning, the early morning part of nobody, Luke, felt like we were getting to near five hundred, and when that number finally got there and and was announced, and people knew that six hundred forty thousand dollars was the winner's purse, that that buzz was as electric as I've ever seen it.
0: Yeah, I could even feel it, um, you know, removed from the track, and I and I think part of the the online buzz was. Uh, honestly, a little bit of confusion, because I think it's been a decade ago that this was changed. But for the longest time, the, the cutoff to actually pay a million dollars was 500 entrants. And so there was buzz around the online community, like people that didn't bother to actually look at the flyer, right, <laughs> to say, oh, my God, it's actually going to pay a million. Like I said, that's been changed 10 years ago. They needed a lot more cars to actually pay the million. But nonetheless, 640 grand is a, it's almost, it's double what it typically pays.
1: Yes. Every bit of double. Uh, so that was, you know, that was uh the, the talk obviously was how big that purse was going to be and how big that split was going to be, and that's a whole nother subject. But um that that car count and that purse dominated the discussion way more than the actual on track um you know racing and, and results.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And and I before we get to the results and before we we, we give Tucker cancellor his well-deserved flowers. I do have a question for you. Like, what is your explanation? I think we pinpointed that this was gonna be a huge race for a number of reasons, but what is your explanation for the million itself being such a dramatic increase in, in participation?
1: You know, Luke, I have no explanation whatsoever for it. Um, you know you you had the Mike Smith Memorial the week before we knew that one got up to 519 on its biggest day, so it was obvious that. Because that crowd was increasing it, it was big it was 406 on Friday got to then 500 519. so the, you could see the crowd was coming in not leaving so that that immediately says that the million itself is or that event is going to be big and I guess. You know when you think when you really think about the the investment that it takes to come stay there for a week or week and a half, racing, um, that two thousand dollar entry fee is not a huge deal, uh, not not that much more if you will. And when I looked around the pits, Luke, again, as I've said many times, I saw a lot of successful people there, business owners. There were some extremely large tabs. There were a lot of successful business owners that had their two three four car team racing and then three four five more of someone else racing and as the as the stakes grew with the car count I think a lot of those very successful people just added to it. I mean I was in the bottom of the tower one time and and I heard just back to back somebody got six entries and then somebody else bought four, you know, pretty late in the game. So I think there was a lot of gamble going on there that that, you know, we can we I might can have somebody in this race that that ultimately scores very big.
0: Yeah, I know we said this around the the, the spring fling um, that was huge at, at Bristol. Obviously, the the two events that you worked on the season. By the way, Jed. Yeah, but yeah. are way is, to come out of retirement. Yeah, there's something in common there. There's a common thread. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I do think that this element had, had this event had an element of of perfect storm. I mean. It's a, it is the OG million, right there is a level of prestige that i don't I don't know that any other event matches. As we'd mentioned coming in, it, it basically stood alone on the calendar in terms of there wasn't since the fall fling Bristol, which is over a month ago now, there really hadn't been another marquee race on the big dollar race calendar between now and then and there's not really one you know for the next several months. Um, So I think everybody could kind of pinpoint this and say, that's where I'm going to close the season or push all my chips in the middle. Um, The forecast was amazing. The, I mean, the weather was chilly, obviously, but, but no rain throughout. And I think you really hit on something in terms of the, the, the electricity, the buzz as that car count keeps going up and obviously the purse increases with it on the day of, I think there are a lot of racers that, that just get intrigued get kind of caught up in it and whether that's okay, I'm going to unload the car and and like, you know, this thing's going to pay 600 grand, like everybody else is running. Or I think in a lot of cases I'm going to go ahead and invest in the second entry. You know what I mean? As that, as that gets bigger, as the buzz gets like call it peer pressure, call it excitement, whatever the case may be. I do think that added to it significantly and it just kind of snowballed.
1: I couldn't agree more. That definitely added to it significantly. And and again, you know, the buzz just kept getting more electric and more electric. Look, hell, yeah, I was I was single entered uh because I'm working and I want to make sure, you know, I do my part. I probably had half a dozen people ask me, Hey, you uh you doubled? No, nah, I'm just singled. You wanna you wanna double? Uh, yes, but no. Uh, I need to. I need to focus on my duties for the race and not, you know, not be out here trying to double enter and skip rounds of announcing and that. So, you know, I mean, half a dozen people are trying to put my dumbass in a second time. Uh, so, you know, that that just says people just wanted to gamble.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely kind of caught that vibe from outside, and and I guess like I'll I'll push back a little bit on this because I think it's hard to argue as a whole that this isn't a positive occurrence, like this huge car count, massive interest in, in the highest level of the sport we love at the same time. Like, I do think it says something about the, the, what, what feels to me at least yet I'm curious your thoughts to be a bit of a growing divide in our sport, because we see small racetracks, um, small promoters, local racing in general struggling. And yet, you know, the big, the biggest, most established events are thriving. And then on the racer standpoint, like I know a lot of racers that are having a hard time justifying going to race period, you know, anywhere because of just the cost of living, right. And, and everything associated with it. And yet the biggest crowd in history just descends on the richest and also most expensive event. Like, well, I think it's awesome that the million had this incredible turnout, Like that growing divide has to be a little bit concerning just because none of us started at the million dollar race, like I've said for years. And I feel like people said this three decades ago that, you know, where is the feeder system? Where are the new racers coming from? And by and large, like while local racing has kind of declined, I think relatively consistently over those three decades, we still have new involvement in the sport. So maybe I'm overthinking it. It just, that seems like more of a concern now than ever.
1: Totally understandable why someone would feel that way, and certainly why you would feel that way, because you've a pretty good um, view of what this type of racing and local racing are all about, as you see plenty of both. But Luke, that's not concerning for me. When I looked around that place, <laughs> there, were, there were people from Texas and Maine and Iowa and Ohio and everywhere you could possibly think of, Minnesota, Canada so I think it was just a case of a little bit of racers from everywhere just making a huge pile of races I mean pile of racers in one spot and obviously you don't travel over a thousand miles without planning on doing all of it and there was a a large amount of racers that come a large distance so i think this is just the perfect storm i don't think this is really an indication of what uh, what we can expect out of racing in the the near or distant future it just was the perfect storm it was perfect weather it was welcome back to montgomery it was promoted very well um and the race before it gave them an opportunity to do some extra racing. So just everything lined up to be a perfect storm. I don't I don't really think this has implications either way, good or bad going forward.
0: You do bring up a good point because just the, I, I, I wasn't necessarily glued to the live feed throughout the weekend, but when I did watch, well, well, let me phrase it. Let me frame it this way. 10 years ago, I would go to that event and I think I would be on a, If not on a first name basis, I would be familiar with 90 plus percent of the field, right? I I knew everybody that was there. Now, admittedly, like I'm a little bit removed from that scene. I don't do as much of the big dollar bracket racing as I once did, but I'm telling you, I watched the live feed and every other pair, I was like, I have no idea who this person is. Like, where'd they come from? You know what I mean? So it was like a bit of a a different crowd and that in and of itself, I think that's unequivocally, that's a positive thing.
1: Very positive, and you are spot on with that. I mean, I announced so many names. I didn't, you know, I haven't screwed up in the past and learned how to pronounce. I I announced people I never even knew as in racing. So many people came up to me. By the way, lots of great listeners to the podcast. I had a ton of people tell me they love the podcast. I mean, you guys ought to download it every now and then and show us that you're really listening, but whatever. I mean, we, we need those downloads. Sounds I, like a
0: lot of people love the idea <laughs> yeah, of the podcast.
1: <laughs> but no, I did appreciate that. I had a ton of people come up. So, you know, people introducing themselves. Uh, you know, I've seen you announce. Uh, we love the podcast. Love what you and Luke are doing. So I really think it was a lot of fresh blood there. A lot of new meat, if you will. And I think obviously people... People knew that buzz of the event and, and the getting back to Montgomery, back to where it had been for so long and been successful for so long, I think had a great buzz around it. And all, all things considered, it, it just seemed like the new and the old come together perfectly and made it huge, which Luke, that's being said, there were probably, and I can't name them off the top of my head, there were probably 50 racers that I could name that seemingly is there every year that, it was not there. So I
0: thought the same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if, if it had really been a perfect storm, we'd still be racing right now. I
0: mean, I went to, I spent the weekend in Gleason, Tennessee running two, five granders and I saw probably a dozen people that I kind of would have expected to be at the million. So yeah, I I definitely think it could have been bigger yet. You know, that's just one example. Um, All right. So we've, we've buried the lead long enough. Let's get to the, the on track, action and I guess we broke this up a little bit but we talked about the buzz around the main event the million dollar main event should we start there
1: uh most definitely I think um you know obviously all the winners deserve their their mention here on the show but the the actual million itself being the biggest one and the biggest crowd and biggest person and considering who won it uh yeah absolutely I think that's where we start Luke
0: All right, so tell me, give me the backstory, give me everything that you know on one Tucker Cancellar, 27th annual million-dollar race winner.
1: Uh, Tucker's a young man from, I was going to say Ohio. (laughs) Shout out to Ohio. We'll we'll get to that later. Um, (laughs) Tucker's a young man from Iowa, uh, briefly moved to Tennessee. Their business was not the same in Tennessee as it was in Iowa, so he and his family went back home to Iowa and Luke, uh, they were, they were working on big trucks and just doing what they do and working hard and somewhere, I guess about Wednesday morning, maybe Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, they decided, heck, we ought to, we ought to go to Montgomery and race the million. I think. Oh, they weren't there for the week. Absolutely not. Oh, wow. Absolutely not. It was a very late decision and the cancellars loaded up and came Jeff Chaney uh, those guys all rolled in together and late and uh, (laughs) it obviously paid off very well for him but um, you know Tucker they've raced with you the cancellars have raced with you at summer door car shootout Um, you know Tucker is a very soft-spoken not not a guy that wanted all the hoopla around him you know we were trying to get to round two of the 100k after that but the, there was a full commitment to dedicate whatever time was necessary for a celebration in the winner's circle for the million and then we were just going to resume no matter how long that took well for the sake of time the perfect person won it uh, tucker didn't have a lot he wanted to say he <laughs> didn't have a lot that he he needed to say and he wasn't jumping up and down running around high-fiving everybody he obviously had a group around him that was celebrating but it was a unique winner's circle for sure and a very deserving champion that young man is a talented young man he he seems to be deep 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 in the rounds at any event that he gets to attend i don't know if you heard me but he lives in iowa so it's not an easy deal the family business is busy but uh tucker was the uh, was a very deserving winner and it was a pleasure to stand there with such a humble and, and thankful young man to, to accomplish something so special.
0: I won't pretend to, to know Tucker super well. Like we, we speak at all of the events that we go to. I have two stories that I, I think will resonate. So you mentioned Tucker coming, Tucker and his, his father Josh coming to the summer door car shootout several years ago. And I believe Tucker was 16, 17 years old. And I may, I may misspeak here because the details of this are a little bit foggy. But we're all familiar with the Corey Galetti wreck and go. Well,
1: at <laughs> yeah. the Jags
0: Summer Door Car Shootout, I believe that Tucker's father Josh they were they were doubling uh, a Vega that they had at the time, and it was I don't know third, fourth round. And I believe Josh was driving and something happened. It left the starting line and, and, and the back end came around the quarter panel, swiped the guardrail and caved it in. And I thought, man, that's a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it broke an axle. Maybe
1: I don't, I don't remember. It was past the finish line. Luke. Oh, okay. Well, Because it otherwise it would have been eliminated from the race if it hit the wall.
0: No, 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 no. It was a different entry.
1: Oh, it was a different I entry. Okay. Believe- I believe okay. Maybe yeah. it was the, the so car I, hit I, past finish line.
0: I think, like I say, details are foggy. but the bottom line is this car is the, the side of it is caved in. And I don't think anything else of it because I think the car's out. Well, I look down. Cause they're parked basically at the front of the staging lanes and they've got this thing up in the air and it looks like a NASCAR crew with hammers. I mean, beating the car- quarter panel out of it. I'm like, what is going on down here? They're thrashing. Well, Tucker was still in. And they get this thing to the point that they decide it's safe to go down the racetrack. And I, if they deem it safe, like if, if Josh cancel is willing to put his 16 year old kid in it, like I ain't going to tell him no, right. Go for it. Sure. Well, here comes Tucker. Like I say, 16, 17 years old, completely unfazed and makes a good lap wins like two or three more rounds with the side of this thing caved in. Like it, it just, I don't know that I could do that at 41. And Tucker, just no problem compartmentalizing that at a really young age and just making the type of laps that he'd been making. Fast forward. Watch. Luke,
1: Luke, let me interrupt that just a moment because your memory's, your is really good. But there was another part to that story that you didn't tell. All right. That lap that he came back around after he frickin' crashed into the wall, he laid me down like nine total. I was his next opponent. He kicked <laughs> my ass. I'm sitting there thinking, this freaking car just wrecked. There's no way he's going to make a good lap. He just wrecked, and he kicked my ass. Now, go so ahead. We've,
0: we've got that in common. You remember my, my dead-on story from back in the day, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and
1: by the way, he was there. Uh, <laughs> there you
0: go. Shouts to Chad Hankins.
1: Yeah, I met Chad. <laughs>
0: That the after meeting, Chad, I would assume, Big Jed, that the story really comes into full view. You can picture it all now.
1: Oh, most definitely. It really, <laughs> it really solidified the, the, the view of that story. The, the mental picture that I had, it just made it perfect.
0: Circling back to Tucker Cancellar, it obviously wasn't this event. Last year's OG Million contested at South Georgia Motorsports Park. But about this time of year last year, we were in Montgomery for the Great American Guaranteed Million, and I was—I should have looked this up to tell you exactly. I, I know that Tucker made the split, and I think he was in really late, like quarterfinals, something along the, those lines of the race that Tyler Bohannon yeah. ultimately won. But where we were parked there, and I remember you know telling this story on the podcast, basically at the turnoff. So I was the I was the first to 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 greet Tyler after he won, and and basically to see his reaction, to see champ's reaction, you know, each of those late rounds, like it it was as exciting a place as I've ever been on the racetrack. Like I would rather watch from there than the starting line, just to see the emotion. Right. And as I'm, as I'm being a spectator to all of this, Tucker continues to go rounds and is just, stoic in demeanor i mean just very much the way that you described the winter circle like this is just another day at the office this is there is nothing nothing everyone that came by there you could tell like a different level of focus except tucker like it was just a different level of focus of emotion of um you know uh excitement when the one like come on with tucker it was i couldn't tell if he won or lost And that's not something that's normal when you're racing for those types of stakes. But at the same time, I think absolutely serves him racing for those types of stakes.
1: Yes, not what you want to see in the other lane, for sure. When the stakes are growing round by round and and all of that attention is on everybody, most humans will feel that. But Tucker seemingly just was insulated from it somehow. And it, it never seemed to bother him or affect him at all.
0: He's a, he's a, a product of racing. And like, you just, again, I don't, I don't know Tucker that well, but the vibe that I get from him is like, he very much realizes or feels that this is what I was born to. You know what I mean? Like, I've been planning this my whole life. This is no big deal. Yeah. It, that's the way you know, it comes
1: across. It, yeah. it, it was like, he just wanted to say, uh, yeah, Jed, uh, that's why I rode from Iowa, uh, Wednesday or you know, <laughs> uh, that's, that's why I came down here. Cause this is what I was planning to do. So no big deal.
0: so tucker Cancelar is the big winner uh race tarleton obviously walks away with a ton um and and that's a name that i'll admit like i was not familiar with at all i assume given location you're a little bit more familiar with race than than i was
1: yeah a a guy that just races in this part of the country uh when he races luke um it was only a second time to race all year um, he, wow. He's been, been busy, got a lot going on. He, he announced uh, in the Winter circle that uh, he and his wife were expecting a baby and it was a baby girl and he's got a lot going on personally and has not had the car out but twice all year. And the first time was the Mike Smith Memorial. Uh, so he just showed up for that week of racing for the first time all year long. And got a million dollar race runner up in a bad door car. Yes. I mean a 480 yes. door car. It was it was the real deal.
0: Pretty two pretty good decisions to attend uh Capital City Motorsports Park
1: there. Very good decision. And Luke, at, at six cars, he he had to buy from 24, so he had 24, 12, and six. Well, what what he could earn at six cars with a loss versus what he would gain mm. by getting to buy in the at the semis. Hold on. I don't,
0: I don't know the details. Can I guess
1: you can guess
0: $150,000
1: round? No, it wasn't quite that, but it was, uh, it, well, ultimately it ended up being over a hundred was, uh, it was wow. a hundred thousand dollar let go. And he laid down 11.
0: Total. That's what I mean. He handed out a best losing package, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, AJ, AJ made a good run against him, but, but Tarleton handled it. Well, with eleven total, and uh, and put himself in the final round, sitting pretty.
0: One, win like one round for six figures. Yes, and, and the and it'd be one thing like at times you could look back and say, "Man, that that round there was big." This one, you one hundred percent know it when you pull in the water.
1: <laughs> yes, and he you know he knew it. He knew it for several rounds. He knew. That he he was going to have to run for it three times to ultimately get his buy run. So you know that's pressure in and of itself, and then that pressure kept growing as he marched towards that quarterfinal round that was so pivotal in terms of earnings.
0: Incredible stuff. So obviously, everybody that got in deep got a pretty healthy chunk. The lone semifinalist, Tom Stalba, uh, down from New Jersey. He mentioned AJ Ash, Jason Lynch. Wayne Gibson were the quarterfinalists. I believe the split actually occurred at what twenty for the twenty-four cars.
1: It did happen at twenty-four, yes. Uh, which you know is a little larger number than it typically happens at, but the purse well, was makes, quite it, a bit more.
0: It makes sense, being that the starting number was a little bit larger than typical, and obviously the purse yeah. also larger than typical. Um, man, uh, it was it was fun to watch from afar um and and i can only imagine it's that it's the culmination of what ended up being a long two days to finish the million but i can't imagine in the moment that that diminished the excitement the electricity around that much at all
1: it really didn't um you know again uh, it, a lot of the excitement is dependent upon who wins it sure but the I would say the attention on it was as big as it ever was you know there the people the people gathered in very large numbers followed them to the water box and up to the starting line just right there behind them wanting to see you know see an up close view of it so the attention on it was was you know as big as I've ever seen it Um, but the actual excitement You know, a lot of people don't know Tucker a lot of people that were there don't know Tucker so you know that that tends to curb your your enthusiasm or your celebration a little bit when you don't actually know the kid but. um, Once they they seen him get out and they saw his interview, there was a ton of love for Tucker Uh, he uh, he gained a lot, I mean a lot of fans after all that happened. Um, saturday night
0: yeah when well deserved uh, other winners from the weekend the the opening 20 grander uh local racer Derek fuller got the win over joe hoskins down from oh i-o that's right uh nick folk won the first 50 over brad clark no split final big jet you can see that, that too often at those kind of stakes
1: that one uh, was getting down to the nitty-gritty and there was not a deal made where it's typically made and and uh, i think Mr. Clark made it, you know, very well known that uh, there was no point in discussing it any further. And then in the final, there was maybe a little discussion, and the discussion was the same as it had been. So uh, Mr. Folk went out and earned himself fifty thousand dollar payday. Fifty and seven. Yeah, it was forty three thousand dollar let go in itself. So we had one let go for a hundred and one let go for forty three. That was pretty impressive.
0: No question. Where do you fall on that? Like the, the splitting covers, I know we've talked about it before. I want to spend a ton of time on it, but um, how, how would that make you feel if you were in the other lane? You probably um, have been.
1: You know, I, I've, I've been told no before and I've been beaten when I was told no. And I've, I've won quite a bit when I was told no. So.
0: Have you ever have a said no?
1: I have, I have, and I won, um, but it was very little money. It was not. Right. It was not anything uh, anywhere near this level. It wasn't even this kind of round money. So, um, yeah, but I don't have a problem with it at all, Luke. Um, you know he he wasn't he wasn't a bad guy. He didn't say y'all kiss my ass. I'm not splitting. He just said, guys, you know, I, I really don't care to to do anything with it. So, and and that's his right. So, Dude, they- I had zero issue with it. There is,
0: I, I know the culture around this stuff is, is very much pro split. And that is uh, the, the, the rule rather than the exception, but there is absolutely no problem with racing for the purse as advertised, right? You, you can't, you can't yes. get upset about that. Like that's what the flyer says. That's what we're racing for. I know, anybody that has an issue with Brad Clark over that, or even that wants to snicker that it didn't work out for him. Like that's it's completely within his rights
1: yep couldn't agree more
0: and then the the finale which ended up being basically two races in one the last 250s get combined into 100 due to i guess a lot of reasons big Jed, you could probably speak to this better than i but uh, overwhelming car count some cold weather curfew like it was just obvious that they weren't going to get everything done the way that they planned to get everything done combine one 100 grander that actually finishes late sunday night Peeps Pennington drives to the win over Aaron Dysinger. We can talk a lot about both of these guys. Let's start with Peeps.
1: Yeah, Peeps, obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a very likely pick for a lot of people in these big money races because he's done so well, did not have the type of performance through the week and and weekend that we typically see out of Peeps, was very down on himself uh, when I saw him Sunday morning, actually it might have been Saturday evening, he was out of the million fairly early, and and uh, he was he was dejected. I was actually giving Peeps a pretty hard time on the on the mic for most of the the time I was there. And when his million didn't go well, I I backed off and and uh, and showed him a lot of love again. But you know he he proclaimed himself the worst racer there and um then he wrapped it up the way peeps wraps it up in uh, in style with that 100,000 thousand dollar win on uh, sunday so uh, luke i think it's safe to say peeps is back
0: his time away didn't last long it's just <laughs> peeps has won a bunch on a bunch of big stages but just what comes to mind like if we're just going to limit this discussion to the the marquee of the marquee events right let's go back to the inaugural uh well let's go spring fling million he wins that i believe that's 2019 right a year later at the inaugural great american guaranteed million in memphis he doesn't win the big show he wins the 80 grander leading up to it fast forward to this season 2022 he has uh by his standards an off weekend at spring fling million Las Vegas on day number last salvages that like not only pays the tab for the team, puts them in the, in the black by winning the the last 30 grander. And it's like, he's making habit of that now, right? Like they're not going to go through a bad weekend. Peeps is going to, Peeps is going to pull it out in the end one way or the other, (laughs) but that's four big wins on basically the, the four biggest stages in our sport now over the course of the last four seasons, like that in and of itself is, is really rare and, and obviously impressive.
1: No doubt about it. Um, couldn't have said it better myself and, you know, he, he just uh, peeps. Doesn't, he's not like a guy that goes a ton each year. He hits the, the marquee events coast to coast seemingly. And, you know, shows up and he does some racing at home on the local level, but he's just very, very talented young man with all the skills. And, you know, he seemed a little pissed off. Uh, when he got put out of the million and I don't know if that's really where you want him is pissed off uh, because he is a level of aggression probably is a he's capable of getting to a level that most can't reach and I think he had a little bit of that pissed off in him and and he obviously showed it uh, he's just he's one of those guys Luke that's a threat to win anytime anywhere and he continues to show it on the big stage because I mean, let's let's be honest, it, it was overshadowed by what Tucker Kanzelar did, but a $100,000 win in a 600-plus car field is a major accomplishment, major. It was a little ho-hum because it was peeps, and I think it didn't quite get the the hoopla around it because it was peeps and it was Sunday night, but that was a hell of a win.
0: Yeah, those, those day number last wins, especially on the back end of, of a marathon that was the, the two weeks at Montgomery, like it, it does lose a little bit of the allure. But to your point, um, 600 plus entries with a buyback for 100 grand. It's not often that you look down at that last time slip and it says E11.
1: <laughs> no, it isn't.
0: That's what Peeps went oh. through to win that thing. So, and Peeps in that final over Aaron Deisinger and if there was such thing, I know that the the MVP is kind of trademarked. That's a fling thing. If there was a million MVP, it's a no-brainer. It's Aaron Dysinger. And the the heater that, that man has been on for the last six months, let's just focus on the last week, right? He, as we'd mentioned last week, he closes the Mike Smith Memorial by winning the final 20 grander over Nick Folk in the final. The opening 50 grander, which Nick Folk won, Dysinger, I believe, was down to five cars. He gets to 12 in the million. That's a healthy cut of the split. And as if that weren't enough, he advances through 600 plus cars into the Sunday $100,000 to win final. I don't know how all that adds up after all the splits, but the let's just rest assured that the chunk that that Aaron Dysinger took from Montgomery, when, when he made it back to Indiana, that made a, when he went to the bank, like that was a thud, right? That was yep. some, some serious bank. And just the level to to, do, to go deep in that event, as, as tumultuous, as trying as it was, spread out over a week, basically, against the best racers in the country, to have your worst performance basically be down to 12? Unreal.
1: Luke, it was very impressive. Um, you know, Aaron is a guy with a lot of spunk he's uh, he's he's got a, a a little fire in him he's bold he's aggressive he's talented fun to be around he's really just one of those guys that that you you just get to feel in the staging lanes that this guy's gonna go out here and and he don't care he's gonna make a great run and i gotta find some way to beat it i i really think as he continued to turn on those wind lights the the Perception from the other racer of, of what they were about to face just kept growing more and more challenging. And I think that forced some mistakes, but that's what happens when you're on a heater. It forces mistakes in the other lane, people trying to maybe be just a little bit better than what got them to the point where they're racing you. And Aaron was definitely striking a level of fear into his opponents. Uh, this week that, that, you know, probably was a little unexpected. Um, You know, it's a, it's a Malibu Dow 621 and it's not the type of, of car that you get concerned about because, you know, you're either chasing it and it's not super slow so you can see it or it's chasing you and you're not, you know, you've got a good view of it out the side window and he wasn't doing a bunch of crazy stuff with, stupid drops and he he did a couple of times but he just was solid you know he he wasn't the guy that you were going to trick into beating and he was making really solid laps and and being what got him there and it was impressive Luke I mean I don't know what other word I can put on it this this guy really showed out and uh it was fun to watch you know a uh, guy that this door car guy that loves the, you know, a full grown man at that um, out there doing his thing. He's who I wanted to be. He's in a back half Malibu <laughs> and he's full grown. His shirt's got more than one X in it. And he was just killing the place, wrecking the place. He's he's who I wanted to be. It was awesome to watch.
0: But it struck a chord for you. It sounds like. Yeah, it
1: struck it, a good chord. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no and now all that on the heels obviously of his of his runner-up at the at the five hundred thousand dollar to win main event at the sfg race up in michigan back in july he's won a couple of, of notable events since then just absolute heater for the last six months definitely big jed someone that i should have drafted onto my team had i oh. had i had aaron deisinger our results might have looked a little bit different as it was i got destroyed big jed destroyed. your team
1: your team didn't do good
0: hmm you you correctly pinpointed both fifty thousand dollar winner nick folk and one hundred thousand dollar winner
1: Pete Spennington. those were part of team j i had them on my team
0: you did you did we had uh we we awarded points for making the split as we mentioned earlier 24 racers made the split uh in the million itself we obviously then just just had two surrounding finals as the, as the fifties got combined. So we had a 50 grander and a 100 grander in which we could have earned points for runner up. So all told there were um, 28 racers that I could have drafted that would have earned me points. And with 10 selections, I failed to pinpoint a single one of them. I got completely shut out big Jed. So a debt has to be paid. Um, by the time that you listen to this, you can probably enjoy that footage on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast <laughs> Facebook page. So be sure to check that out.
1: Going to be a good time. Going to be a good time. All and right. To your to your defense, I only had three racers score, but I really only needed one to score. <laughs> apparently, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. You it really didn't take much. You know what I mean. So we laid down a run I couldn't beat. All um, right, let's let's get to the drama because. <laughs> the million just never fails to deliver big jed so re- reflections takeaways and and then ultimately some of the drama surrounding this um i think both folk promotions and capital city dragway deserve credit for the car count probably more so folk promotions as you mentioned earlier tremendous job promoting this event it is still the og million it still has um it packs a punch i think unlike anything else in our sport
1: not no doubt I mean, that's a, it's, and I said it leading up to it. It's the OG. It's, it's the last one of the year. It's positioned perfectly on the calendar. It's back at Montgomery. Everything was lining up and, you know, I felt like it was going to be great, but I, I felt like my numbers were great numbers, but they were like my million numbers were second round numbers, not, not (laughs) original car count.
0: Right. Um, and, and I guess I'll qualify this portion of the conversation, Jed, because this, this isn't the fun stuff to talk about because not to compare what you and Steve do or, or what I do with our, our little race, not to compare that to the million because it's two different worlds. Right. But I say that to say this, like, I know how difficult it is to run a race, how much goes into it. And I know that any race put on is a race that's run by human beings. Right. So I think I, and, and I'll speak for you as well, Jed, like we are more hesitant than most to issue criticism because we've been on both sides of it. Right. But at the same time, we can step back from this and say, uh, there were some things that I think could have been done better, right. Both on both sides from the racetrack side and the, and the promotional side.
1: Yeah. I don't think you'd find anybody that would argue that with you, Luke.
0: Yeah. So the staff here, they fought some issues that I don't think are, are unique to this event or to this facility. It's just different when it's the million because it's under such a giant microscope. Like there was, some level of, of track issues it seemed like as it got colder uh, maybe wasn't as prevalent as it may have seen at times definitely some timing system issues let's focus on that I guess the the quickest way to follow this up we've got as we record this Tuesday night there is significant Facebook drama right our, our buddy Jay codge started what when the opening lines of of your post big jet are this is not a poopster and post that should be red flag number one, right? Like that's like, that's like starting a conversation with, Hey, no offense, or, you know, I'm not here for the drama. Like w- when I, when we preview a conversation with that, it's about to be offensive and it's about to start a lot of drama,
1: right? Yeah. Well, you know, in Jake's defense, it, it really wouldn't have mattered what the, the words behind that were If you, <laughs> if you say that up front, it's, it's stirring it. Yes. Yeah. You could have said, you know, not to stir poop here, but I think Texas Roadhouse has better roles than Logan's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's going to be nuts and it's going to stir the poop. So irregardless, I, you know, I really believe Jake wasn't trying to cause trouble, but sure. it was inevitable.
0: Now, and and this went this went downhill in a hurry and ended up in a, in a very public um, butting of heads, if you will, between the capital city motorsports staff and the folk promotion staff, like right there on Facebook. Um, and it, and it feels like, well, I was going to say it felt like, uh, a a change in venue. Another change in venue is imminent. And as we record producer, Mark just, just threw up on the screen here, that the million dollar race just announced that the location will be changed in, in 2023. Do you want to read the words?
1: Yeah, I've been sent uh, two, <laughs> two messages about this uh, while, while we were recording, but the post is from the Million Dollar Drag Race. It says, unfortunately, as most are aware, there were some unexpected complications during the 27th annual million dollar drag race contested at Capital City Motorsports Park. At Folk Promotions, our goal is to deliver events that include an environment, race structure, payout, facility, and racer experience of the utmost quality. Sadly, there were aspects that fell short of both ours and our racers' expectations during the million dollar race week. We want everyone to know that we do not take this situation lightly and are making changes to avoid similar issues moving forward. That said, a new date, keyword there, and location for the 2023 million will be announced in the near future. We will then release details regarding our plans to show appreciation towards those who attended this year's event. Thank you for your continued support and we look forward to making improvements for the 28th annual million dollar drag race. Date and location loop, that screams it's moving north.
0: Right, because if you're going to continue that date, it would have to be in the southern part of the country. Um, the, the, the The expectation would be that it's going to be earlier in the year and, and further north. Yeah,
1: I agree. Yeah, Most definitely.
0: Now, keep in mind, we're responding to this in real time. Like, that's literally the first time that I read the post. It, it felt like, from what we saw earlier today, that that announcement was imminent. But not always right there's there, there is a level of emotion in the moment and you had mentioned this off air jed like there is a um a feeling out process because while obviously the million dollar race is no stranger to the racetrack now known as capital City dragway formerly Montgomery Motorsports Park this is the the first time that they've worked together with, with, under the current ownership of Montgomery and it actually now with with the venue change um marks, this will be the fourth consecutive year, right? Second, third, third consecutive year that the event has changed location, right? It was it was at Montgomery under the previous regime, moved to South Georgia Motorsports Park due to, I mean, let's face it, like a one of the, the biggest clusters we've we've ever seen at at Montgomery in what was that, 2019, 2020. Moved to South Georgia Motorsports Park. Obviously, there were some issues there. We're not on the same page, moves back to Montgomery, that's moving again. Um, so I guess that's to preface my question to you, is this a worse look on capital city motorsports park? Or is this a worse look for folk promotions? Because like there is, you could make the argument, certainly that there is a common denominator here. Like the folks keep moving the race, right? Are are they that hard to work with? Or I'm sure there's fault on both sides, but who's this a worse look for?
1: Oh, Luke, that's a great question. I try not to be so politically correct here and and say one way or another, but, you know, I think ultimately it's a worse look for the, for the people that drew the racers to the facility. Um, I think ultimately, you know, the the credit would have landed for folk landed on folk promotions and the blame unfortunately lands with them as well in the racers eyes. So
0: I'm not even necessarily, because I think there's blame to go around. Like we can get into that. Um, who does, who does it impact more going forward? Like, I, I, I would actually argue. Capital City Motorsports Park, just because. And I'm not even trying to draw the correlation here because I don't think they're related, but when the million left there after 2020, the stigma around that place was as awful as it could be around a racetrack, right? And then Ben came in. And new ownership and so much facility upgrades. The Great American Million went off fantastically. I think I would say you know across the board, by and large, all of these events have their issues. Like let, let's not let's let's paint an accurate picture, but I think that event was very well received and, and shed a very positive light on the facility. But that wasn't necessarily the same market. Wasn't necessarily the same crowd. There's some overlap. For a lot of the racers that came this weekend they hadn't been to that facility since the, the disaster of 2020. And so that stigma is lessened, certainly, because it is, it's a different staff and it's basic. I mean, if you've been there, it's a different facility, right? But that's still there. When when, when similar issues become prevalent, I think it sheds a negative light on the facility as much as it does the the promoters. And, and ultimately, there's, there's blame to go around. I just think part of me says that, There's nothing that could be done to significantly diminish the million. I mean, there's been drama issues around this race for over a decade. Seemingly, you put your calendar on it. Like every year, we're talking about something bizarre that happened to the million. Not all within uh, the folk family's control, certainly, right? But it seems like every year there's something. And it's, and yet it's the biggest one we've ever seen. Like you can't, it's like you can't drive people away. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. You were there, I wasn't. I don't know that this affects the million going forward. And I don't know that it significantly impacts the facility. But if I had to say one way or the other, like my initial thought is that this actually hurts CCMP more than it hurts full promotions.
1: I understand that logic. Um, I I respectfully disagree with it just because, Luke, it's uh, Capital City Motorsports Park. In my neck of the woods offers more than any facility in this part of the country can offer in terms of, you know, parking and racetrack and, a race track and um, the surrounding area, you know, that you can go eat and you can sleep and do a lot of things and just it's it's built for big type races and regionally is where the crowd comes from most, you know, 95% of their races. And we need Capital City Motorsports Park in this part of the country. We need it, we need it to prosper, we need it to do well. And we know Ben, we know Ben Willis. And if you know, whatever issue there is, we know that Ben's gonna do what he's got to do to correct it. And we're going to have a great place to continue racing. Folk promotions, we know they're gonna do well. They're making the adjustments, they've already announced they're making the adjustments that they see necessary to continue on. And we know the million is going to succeed and do well, regardless of where you take it. So I say all that to say, I think both sides received a little damage in this thing, but I don't think any of it is not overcomable. I think both sides, whatever, whatever damage was done to reputation, participation, whatever is easily repairable with the right um, effort and message going forward. And I think both sides will continue to, uh, obviously they're gonna separate and, and move forward uh, independently of one another. But I think both sides will do that as well.
0: I think that's the right answer it's it's easy to overreact but if we were to zoom out from this um i felt like i think we both felt like the the damage following this event two years ago in 2020 was like way more imminent like i don't know if either one of these can survive right yeah and they've both completely thrived since right yeah, both the racetrack point. and the, and the, and the uh and the promoter so um let's let's again like put on our, our critical hat here right specific to the event and feel free to push back on any of this you were there i wasn't right from the outside the car count while huge wasn't a complete surprise right like we pinpointed it i'm sure that they had an idea that the the million itself never mind i don't think anyone could have predicted that but their surrounding races were going to be huge regardless right and yet it just, it felt from the outside that there wasn't really a plan in place. Like ultimately there's five races scheduled to run in five days. Right. And we could get into this. This is probably another topic for another episode, Jed. Like I'm not a fan of the format in general, but I realize I'm in the minority again, different discussion for a different day. Let's table that. Five races were scheduled to be run in five days. When all of that's said and done, basically three and a half races, a will call it run to completion in six days right? And because the two 20 granders, or I'm sorry, the two fifty granders are combined into 100 and the opening 20 grander limited to a, a 64 car field, like basically the best 64 packages of first round move on, right? So I'm going to count that as half a race. And I don't fault either of those decisions. I think they were the only decisions to be made. But with that said, the flyer was five races in five days. And I don't see any scenario in which that was realistic. Like it's just a poorly designed flyer, like that's not going to happen. I mean, I realize you've got the extra travel day and you could say, well, there was 600 plus cars, right? There's 600 plus cars. And with the exception of one event, you cut out buybacks. Well, that doesn't take any more time to run than a race with 400 or 450 cars with a round of buybacks. And if they thought they weren't going to get 450 cars, like I don't know what they were smoking. Right. So I don't, I just don't, think that the flyer was realistic. Like, was it cold? Sure. Was there a curfew? Yes. But those are, those are issues uh, are things that should have been taken into account in advance. Like, I just don't think that the plan was solid. Like, I don't really have much issue with the decisions that they made to iterate the plan. I just thought the in- initial plan just wasn't particularly realistic. Would you push back on that?
1: Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Um, I think and, and, and I don't know this for a fact, you know, uh, Jenny and I talk a lot um, uh, behind the scenes and talk about, you know, next moves and next steps. And um, I, I really think in everybody's mind that Sunday is uh, is kind of a cleanup day, you know, if we need it. Sure. So I think that security blanket probably forced a lot more into that five day window than than what you think is feasible. But, um, you know, this massive crowd, still, Luke, I I think was, it was manageable, had you been able to race as long as you possibly could race, because, you know, when it's all said and done, you couldn't get started on time in the morning, because of the cold temps, and you couldn't run as late at night because the cold temps so your days were shortened to the point where it was just challenging and mentally uh it was a mental strain on uh, the promotion team so you know i i don't think it was necessarily a poor plan but maybe the adjustments could have been um a little more out in front uh guys racers Obviously we see some record low temperatures coming. The dew point Luke was the was the issue. You staged your buggy in 30 something degree air last, or two years ago on Sunday or Saturday, whenever it was, and, and was going down the racetrack. Racetrack was good. Uh, this time the dew point had the air very wet and it was creating some extra challenges that we haven't always dealt with there. So I think, uh, I think a lot of lessons were learned. I don't think they really just neglected it. I think we just had more hope than we did, I guess, prep in terms of what we saw coming. So, yeah, could have been better. Um, Jenny, Dave, Randy, they all acknowledged that. And and you know, like I told her, you know, analyze, evaluate, look at this thing, and when you're done, get figure out what you could have controlled better and fix it and make it better. And then what wasn't controllable just isn't controllable and you got to move on. And I think they're, they're definitely going to do that. But obviously with the announcement of a date and location change, it might not be an issue.
0: Yeah, true. No, and I, I'll be I'll, maybe not critical, but questioning of, of adding a, um, you, you combine the two fifty granders and the one 100 grander because you can't get it all done. then you tack on a buyback in that race, which my impression was, was largely like positively accepted by the the crowd, the racers in the moment, two days later, when we're still finishing that race, maybe not quite as much, right. Um, But it's just easy to look back at that and say, well, that just seems like a money grab. I mean, there's 300 potential buybacks at $250 a piece, you can do the quick math, like, aren't we making enough money here? Do we really need to extend this again, again, in, in a race that, it's taken an extra day to complete one less event like it, it from the outside it didn't look like a great look um and, and you don't have to respond to that i, I don't well I'm i'd like to because you know. i was sure. in
1: favor of it okay i was in favor of it uh and and a lot i don't know most a lot of racers were in favor of it
0: no that was the impression just, that i got yeah
1: just because we had so much time to run it what it looked like so much time to run it and the stakes were high and people You know, really was liking the do-over if they needed it, as I was. So, I was a fan of it. Ultimately, when it was all said and done, I hated it. Um, (laughs) I had two entries into that one. I got one through and one I didn't get through, and I was able to buy it back. So, you know, I was thankful for that. But I would have much rather just been down to one in round two, half of the field. When all said and done, so hindsight's 2020. In the moment, I loved it, but and at the, at the end of the day, I was uh, I was regretting supporting that decision.
0: And I know that coming in the plan for the million is based around the traditional million, you know, 350 entries would be phenomenal. Right. And and obviously it far exceeds that, which creates issues of its own when you're trying to put on a race. In hindsight, I think it's clear, like we could probably have eliminated the time trial before the million. But I know that that's also traditional. Uh, so I, I, it, it just seemed very obvious. And it seemed like, again, from the outside that the, the right hand and the left hand weren't necessarily connected. Like I know it's, I, I key up the, the live feed, you know, early Friday afternoon and the time trials not done yet. And there's you know nearly 500 entries and it's very obvious like, okay, this race is, we're not going to crown a winner tonight. And yet the announcements and the Facebook posts are stick around. We're going to crown a, there's somebody's going $640,000 today. And I'm like, I don't know what, Clock you're operating on, like this race isn't going to finish today, and I don't think they finished second round that day. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, no chance.
0: So anyhow, so the the big drama around this, and and ultimately circling back to the the non poop stirring Facebook post that that we mentioned earlier, was some timing system issues, and and then specifically the handling of those issues. That correct me if I'm wrong, Jed. I don't think became prevalent until Sunday, relatively deep in the, in the closing 100 grand. I don't think this had any impact on the outcome of the million. This was just basically, um, um, relegated to that final
1: event. Yeah, that's the way it appeared, Luke. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see any issues, um, or any major challenges, um, until that moment, Sunday afternoon, that, that 30, 45 minute stretch, whatever it was Sunday afternoon where a couple of bad things happened. So I'm not, I don't, I really don't think it impacted the million.
0: So before we get into that, I do want to circle back and and give a little bit of credit where credit is due. Like the the stuff did add an extra round of round money to the million that didn't have to happen. Right. It was uh, it was $300 to lose round three, where it was typically nothing. You do the quick math on that. Like they threw $30,000 plus probably back into the purse. Hard to be upset with that. Uh, The the pushback that I would have, and again, like uh, this this isn't even something I should probably say. But if I've got a minimum two thousand dollar tab, probably significantly more, and I lose third round, like not that I don't appreciate the three hundred bucks, but I don't think it moved the needle for anyone, right? Like I I don't want to say not express appreciation for doing that, but I don't know that it necessarily made the impact that they had intended.
1: Well, I'm not sure that uh, what the impact in, intended impact was, Luke. Um, you know, I, I I was behind the scenes in that decision. And my advice was anytime you're going to add to the program in any shape, form or fashion, I think you want it to impact the largest number of people. Sure. And this impacted the largest number of people. Um, because basically it impacted double the amount that actually received it. Because in the round, when you pull up there and you get told, everybody gets told, this is not a round that pays anything, but we're going to pay something. The impact is for the whole, whatever number is in that round. Everybody says, everybody feels the same way. Well, at least we're getting something right here if we go out. So I I think that the intention was just to find a way to give back some more and it did not need to be on the top that that wasn't necessary at all
0: Uh, i I think
1: they put it in the right spot did it move the needle absolutely not but you know again i'm not sure um who the racers were that got the money but most probably are going to have a little different look at a racing operation than you have personally. So I think, you know, probably it served its purpose.
0: Yeah. It's hard to push back on that. So anyway, back to the, 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 the real drama here Sunday, I guess, third, fourth round. I was, I caught the very front end of this on the live feed and it wasn't like it was every car down the track, but it was enough notable racers that, I know had been there for a week that typically make good enough runs that would come up, let's say 40 on the tree, four under, right. Enough to say like, okay, something's not right here. And again, it wasn't every pair, but it was, it was enough to, to throw up the red flag. Right. And as that became prevalent and feel free to, to, to butt in at any time here, Jed, but as I'm watching from the outside, as that becomes prevalent, let's say it's fourth round, I believe the bulk of this, it becomes an issue and, and you have, I don't know what it was, you know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen runs that that stick out that go blatantly like, okay, this isn't really kosher. Like these aren't the typical runs that you see at this point in the race by this type of, of competition. Right. And the quick explanation would be, uh, you know, what we refer to as a, as a lazy photo cell, right. Meaning that basically something stays in the beams after the car has left it, causing a slower reaction time and basically a correspondingly quicker 60 foot. There may be a, a better explanation than that, but I think that's one that most of us can kind of cling to and, and, and understand. Right. So at that point, just from the promotional standpoint, like there are no good options here, right? You have, you have a race that's been compromised fairly. Obviously you can pinpoint a handful, again, maybe a dozen racers that were directly impacted. Right. And you basically, at least in my opinion, at that point, as the the race director, you have two choices and neither one of them are good options. You either stand by the timing system and say, everything stands which i think it's it's reasonable to say is unfair certainly to the dozen or so that i think most of us could agree probably got bogus runs right or the other option which again not a good option is to basically like try to figure out when this started and go back to that point and like rerun the entire round right which is obviously unfair to everyone that won And at this point in the weekend, you're talking, it's late in the day Sunday when everybody's been there for a week and even those in just want to get this race over with. Right. So that doesn't seem like a realistic solution, but my point is like, I feel like the only options there are one extreme or the other, right. Anything in between to, to, to even say, okay, like these 10 are obviously wrong. Like we're going to, put them back in, or we're going to rerun those rounds or whatever. Anything in between is, is super subjective because if it's obvious on one pair, Jed, where the, the car in one lane is 50 on the tree and and um, 45,000 fast to 60 foot and you go, okay, that's obvious. Well, if you can pinpoint six, eight runs that are obvious where it was four or five hundredths of a second, How can you not then say that, like, okay, well, this run, it could have been four or five thousandths of a second. Like, it's not obvious, but it could have impacted the outcome of the round. Like, where do you draw that line? Right. And that becomes a really, really tricky situation. So my understanding of, of what happened is that they were, they were on top of this. Right. And realized like, okay, these are the racers that had notable issues. And had like essentially, for lack of better terms, like a list, right? And there was a a thought, maybe a discussion. I don't know if it included necessarily the racers involved or this was internal. But there was a, a discussion. I would assume about reinstating those individuals that had that had obviously, um, you know, blatantly um, off runs, right? Like runs that that didn't add up. Ultimately they thought the better of that. And like I say, went back to, to one of those two options, right? And says, okay, we're the decision is we're going to stand by the timing system. As much as I hate to tell you that this run that you think is bogus, that I probably think is bogus, like uh, I, I have to say, like that's that stands, right? So at some point that decision was made. And that's what was explained to the the racers with questionable runs. And then at some point after that, Several of the racers who, you know, it was it was told in some public fashion that no one's being put back in. Several of the racers were put back in, and it has the feel, inevitably, Jed, that the racers that were able to continue in competition, that were reinstated, were the the squeaky wheels. Like there was definitely some percentage of these competitors that took the high road, for lack of better terms, and said, "Well, that that sucks." I don't think it's right, but everybody's out, I'm out, right? And those people load up or probably on their way home, maybe pull up the live feed and go, wait, didn't, didn't that racer lose the same run I did with the same bogus run I, and they're still in? That's not a good look. And m- my understanding of this, and again, wasn't there just from what I've gathered. I don't think this was necessarily a a malice of intent situation like i don't think that the the promotional team set back and said okay we're through everybody out except these three guys right like these these guys eh, we trust them we're going to put them back in i don't think it was that so much as my impression of this is that like the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing like one one member of the promotion team says everybody's out another member of the promotion team if you go talk to them you you might have a chance to get back in and they just weren't unified, which I don't, <laughs> something like this comes to a head and at an event, like it's a big, big decision to make. And again, there's no good options, but I think it's fair to say like everybody in that decision making process is in one room on the same page. And this is what we're going to do. This is, this is it. And that obviously never happened, a- at least the way that I took the story. And that's that's a big knock. Like that's an egregious thing. It's really unfortunate. I hate to see it, but if I was one of those racers that got a bad run, knew I got a bad run, accepted my, my loss, and then come to find out that that other racers were reinstated. uh, I I mean, I think all of us would agree that that wouldn't sit well with me. And and to that point, like the, a lot of what I'm getting here was the post from Aaron Dysinger, who was sticking up for a buddy of his that basically went through the situation that i just outlined like had a had a run that i think most would agree was bogus accepted the idea that okay nobody's going to put get put 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 back in that sucks but it is what it is and then only to turn around and see that several other racers with a similar situation ended up back in the race um and aaron and and his buddy justifiably i think upset
1: okay luke uh I've listened to your breakdown of the situation. And obviously you and I talk off air. We talk sometimes personally. So um, you know where I fit into this scenario or this series of events. I, I fit in where a lot of people fit in. Personally, I fit in there. So it's hard for me to play staff member or racer alone I have to play both because that's who I am and you're spot on with your um, assessment of how this happened Um, that's that's exactly what happened in those late rounds Uh, there was a decision made by the race director it was Dave Connolly that you know it just wasn't going to work to put everybody that was affected back in he was heartbroken Uh, he had tremendous um, pain on him for having to make that decision and it wasn't because Big Jed was one of the ones affected it was just because he's a racer and he gets it it was it was a tough deal and and Dave had a, a lot of remorse for for the racers that were impacted that were told guys I just can't put you back in the you know the crowd is not going for this and it's it's just a black eye so we'll figure something out on the backside and and try to make this right, but it's not going to work out. So I, like many others, just accepted that. And and I'm not, I'm a staff member. I'm not in a position where I can go up there and stand in a chair and raise hell at somebody. So, you know, that's best. I took the, the high road and, you know, I've got a 16 year old son that was watching me react to this situation that that mattered to me. And, My name and and how I'm perceived, Um, whether people think it's it's worth anything or not, I I just I got to lay down at night and know that I handled it the best way I could. And that's how I handled it. You know, as I'm sitting there announcing, I'm seeing people that had the same fate that I got. uh, Leaving the gate and some that had the same result I got that are back out there competing. And that was really frustrating for me. Um, I won't, I won't sugarcoat this too much, but there's probably a little sugar in here. Uh, It was a level of frustration that I had that I struggled dealing with. But, you know, again, I I pride myself on being there as a staff member and doing what I'm supposed to do. So I called round five and I called round six and, and I left the facility um, without um, a lot of hoopla or you know crying on anybody's shoulder um it it was a very poor decision by someone to to not do something for everybody that you did for somebody and that's really all I'll say I was fine with you know it hurt it sucked but I was fine with saying you know what I just I, I landed in a bad spot here I got in that 30 or 40 minute window where it was affected and you know I'm just going to accept it and move on I'm, I'm you know it's it's uh it's a big deal but it's not like I'm it's not like I was guaranteed to win it if I if I didn't go out right there so I understood the challenge in front of me was monumental so you know I was just willing to deal with it But when you see that everyone didn't get treated the same that that hurt and that 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 was a little salty for me and um you know that there's there's um there's not always a right way to handle things but there is a consistent and fair way to handle them and I felt like that didn't we didn't reach that in this series of events so um you're you're, I say all that to say you're spot on and, and what you, how you view that and what you think happened. And, you know, I think they learned a very valuable lesson. I really do. And I'm, I feel confident that it'll get corrected if they ever run into this again.
0: I guess ultimately that's all you can ask. I, I just,
1: to
0: my, to my earlier point and to your point, Jed, there's no good way to deal with this but there are better ways to deal with this than, than what happened. Right. I, I think, I think everyone involved could probably agree upon that. And as a, as a promoter, I can say that I've never put on an event that I didn't learn from. Um, and, and obviously the same will, will be, will, the full promotion team will go through the same process, obviously. Um, and I, and I think our earlier point is true. Like this is as damning as all of this is um, they'll be fine capital city motorsports park will be fine. The show will go on. Um, and I don't know The I feel like there's not a lot of fun in promoting an event of that stature to begin with because the stakes are so high and fairly or unfairly. Like I do think that we all have a little bit higher level of expectation. Um, some of the things that they fought are things that are fought not at every event, right. But probably at, at more than we'd like to admit, whether it's, Timing system issues or, or um, you know, difficult decisions, like all of that. Is, it's not unique to the million, um, but it seems like for whatever reason, this this level of drama, again, partially because it's under a microscope. But uh, I think some of it ultimately comes back to the, the the preparation of the staff and the teamwork of that team. Um, you know, it, it there's there are some things left to be desired. So we'll leave it at that. Big Jed, let's transition um, to. The coming weeks, like we spent the last, what, hour and a half now talking about last week, this week, the biggest thing on the sportsman drag racing radar is the NHRA Summit ET World Championships. Yes, all of our division championships are, as we speak here, either descending on upon or have descended upon the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, eight car runoff in this season now for the first time, what, five different categories to determine the NHRA summit ET series world champion. Let's go through the qualifiers from each division in each category. And as we always do big Jed, or let's, let's pick a winner, right? And you can't, there's five classes. Could you, could you pick one from a division other than two?
1: Um, yeah, I will get one from okay. a division other than two. All
0: right, um, let's start with super pro division one represented by Jamie diamond division two, represented by brendan george i think brendan has done this before right he at least qualified before i want to say he didn't make the trip or did he
1: i can't remember but uh, brendan's won a lot so he could have qualified i know
0: he's a former division two champion i just can't remember him going out west we probably did brendan george Division two division three carl keel division four todd Irwin, division five super pro representative is lane weber Division six, the representative, this is a, this is a a bit of a tug at the heart springs. Cooper Chun earned the right to represent division six at the summit ET finals world championship runoff. As we've discussed here on the show, Cooper in a, in a pretty serious battle with, uh, with bone cancer is not in a position, I guess, mainly due to his chemo regimen, but also just due to his, his current health, I guess, uh, is not in a position to go to Vegas, which sucks right? I mean, it's, yes. it sucks for everybody. It, it obviously really sucks for, for Cooper a young man that obviously earned this right. And it's one of those things that any of us would absolutely put on a pedestal as a crowning achievement, a crowning, a, an unbelievable opportunity to, uh, to earn the right, to represent division six, to race for the world championship on that stage. And he's not going to get to do it. Um, he'll be replaced by, uh, Earl Griffith. So Earl Griffith will be flying the flag for division six and David Meyer um, for Division Seven, it is our understanding, and I'm, I got to admit, we're not hundred percent sure we're right on this. We hope we are. Uh, the Super Pro Wild Card this year fell to Division Seven, and it is our understanding that that Wild Card will be held by Dylan Smith. So that'll be the eighth entrance in Super Pro. Any of those entrants that you want to speak to, and/or I'm going to challenge you. Let's let's pick a winner.
1: Uh, yeah, Luca uh, Lane Weber uh, is a guy that. That has accomplished a lot. I uh, David Meyer. I think both those guys, being, you know, obviously David Meyer, a lot less trip. Uh, Lane Weber, not a terrible trip. So I would tend to lean to either one of those. But I am going with. And by the way, I love the Florida Duck, Brendan George. He's from Division Two, so he should win it just because he's from Division Two. But I'm going with the sentimental favor here uh there's something about this story that just feels extra special uh, earl griffith taking cooper chun's uh place in what cooper earned so i'm uh, in in honor of cooper chun and in support of cooper chun and his battle i'm going with earl griffith Luke, to be your super pro national champion
0: yeah it's hard not to root for that that would be a tremendous story um if i got to pick a winner i I know most of these guys. I, I think it's fair to say that that Brendan George is probably the most um, accomplished. He should probably should be the favorite. I just have a feeling, Big Jed. Like I've seen David Meyer operate when he turns it on. He's familiar with that facility. Um, I think there's probably inherently this is a big pressure situation for all of these guys. Like that is a stage that I just. I've said before, you can cut the tension with a knife. And that might even be more so for David being a little bit closer to home. Um, and I think that this event as as big a deal as it is for everyone. I do think it holds a little bit more um, meaning for the West Coast racers, just because there's not an option or very few options to, to run like a big dollar bracket scene. Like the majority of West Coast racers are are competing at their facility week in week out to earn the right to go to the bracket finals, to potentially win, to earn the right to race for the world championship. And I know of the West coast racers, like David gets out a lot and has had success on the big dollar scene, but I just think there is a gravity to this event. That's a little bit unique to the D 67 guys. So that he might, I guess what I'm saying, he might feel the pressure even more than most, but if I have to make a pick, I'll go with David in, in super pro.
1: Solid pick there for sure. Luke in the pro category, that's uh, bottom bulb that's where trans breaks are allowed. Dan Casey is your returning national champ. He represents division one.
0: Familiar.
1: Yep, Dan making the trip back out by winning his way out there again. So really cool to see Dan uh, picked him last year. He got it done. So he's a, a tough, tough racer on the bottom. In division two, my home division, Tim Butler, the legend is making his way out there to compete for the national championship division three is AJ Buchanan which another tough tough racer on the bottom division four racer I'm not as familiar with is Jason Scott division five is Ed Holmes division six is Steve Lambert and division seven is Robert Crum and the wild card Luke Falls back to a Division One racer and another tough competitor, Andy Anderson. So, seeing that list of pro competitors, who are you leaning towards?
0: Well, it should be noted too, like Dan Casey actually earned both berths for Division One, coming Very off the national championship. You know, I mean, he not only won the pro class, he also won the race of champions, which is how they award that wild card. Um, obviously, Dan can't can't, can't be double entered in the A car runoff. That's against the rules, I guess. Uh, so they give that, that second spot to Andy Anderson, who was the runner up in the division one race of champions. Um, that's a stacked deck. I think of the, of the five fields, I, I think, uh, more of the names in pro are familiar to our listeners than in any other category. Um, really, really talented group. I caught a lot of pushback last year for not picking Dan Casey. Um, it, it was it was an elite member, like probably, probably should have been my dog, right? I think we had a couple of elite members. I want to say I picked one of the Schmals last year, Um, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, as much faith as I got in Dan and what he's accomplished, which is incredible, Um, I just can't go against the legend here, uh, Tim Butler. Like, I don't know how much longer Tim's going to race. Like, he's been around a long time, done this at a high level a long, long time. I feel like this could be like the crowning achievement uh, of of I don't know how many races Tim Butler's won. It might be a thousand plus. Um, and he's won the IHRA, you know, world championship when it, when it was a big, big deal, paid whatever, like 50 or hundred grand and a new car. And I, I think he may still have that car.
1: Um, so this so. Certainly
0: this, this may not even rank up as the, the crowning achievement in Tim Butler's career, but I, I just think it would, I think it would be fitting to see him win it. And it's hard to pick against some really talented racer.
1: Yeah, when you look at guys, it's been in big moments. Tim Butler's been in as many as anybody in the sport. So he's definitely been in as many as anyone in this race. Very solid pick there. Definitely one that I would have chosen had he been available. But for the sake of picking someone else, just because that's the right thing to do, I'm going to go back to division one, Luke. Dan Casey would be my pick, but I just feel like I'm I'm kind of picking the obvious there with him riding the wave. So I'm gonna go with a wild card. Andy Anderson, bad news, bottom bulb, a really tough competitor. Obviously, uh, the race of champions, he come up short to the aforementioned Dan Casey. Um, I would like to see an Andy Anderson, Tim Butler final, just so one of us gets it right, but I'm going Andy Anderson. Uh, bad news dude from the Northeast. It's gonna go out there and show him what's up.
0: walk us through our sportsman field
1: sportsman in division one is paul northrup anybody named northrup is a threat anytime anywhere in division two is john nelson which is a bristol racer tough tough racer up in that part of the country division three is the next big thing as we deemed him a few years ago here on the podcast caleb ellison division four is jason heidenbrandt i don't know much about jason but i'm sure he's tough because division four is hard to handle division five is ryan munford ryan has won it before i think ryan uh, is i think ryan lives in the kansas area if i remember correctly tough division five racer that uh, we've talked to before after uh, a big performance in a national championship so I'm sure Ryan's going to be a handful in Division six. That is Jimmy Hereford. I don't know Jimmy and Division seven. It is Russ Lindsey. Sportsman category is 12 flat, I believe, and slower, if I remember correctly, or 1199, maybe in slower Luke, um, foot brake cars, more of your traditional um, you know, potential street cars going to be in this type of race. So this is a fun one. This is where talent does extremely well, and uh, I'd be interested to see who you're picking here
0: in well, the sportsman category. There's some talent in this field, right? I mean, just the the notable, notable names between Monford and Caleb Ellison and Paul Northrup, Don Nelson, you mentioned. Um, there's also, there's like Racer X in this. The the sportsman wildcard this year went to Division Four. And we're not honestly certain who is is that representative. Um, I guess shame on us, but I'll I'll, I'll take a little bit of this out on NHRA. Like the race is this week. Like, can we not figure out who why is this why is this information not easy to find? It's not easy to find. So we're leaving someone out. So our apologies to that division four representative. Obviously, you won't be our pick because we don't know your name. Um uh, you could go a couple of different directions here. I just I've been so impressed with this kid watching from afar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick him. Give me Paul Northrop.
1: Very solid pick there. Uh, again, I think divisions one, two, and three are the ones I'm most familiar with, so I think it's easy to pick from that group. So definitely, Paul Northrop is a solid choice. But Luke, I just don't know how. If you give me this pick a hundred times, how I don't pick it a hundred. I've watched this young man perform extremely well. Uh, he's going to be driving Victo's truck out there in his uh, Sonoma, I believe it is. And he's got so much talent. I'm just leaning to Caleb Ellison right here to get that sportsman championship. Uh, this young man's won a lot. He won our first hundred grander uh, at Bristol two years ago. And just I'm, I don't think the moment's going to get to him. So. I'm picking Caleb Ellison. All
0: right, let's go to the ET motorcycles because I know this is right in our wheelhouse. Oh, really? You know all good. Of these guys.
1: I've picked the national champion before out of this category. Yeah. At <laughs>
0: really least good. once. I want to say you did it twice. Might have Division a, one. Yeah. Division one represented by Jeff Tisdale. Division two, Dalton Markham. Division three, your reigning national champion, one Gareth Shepard, Big Jed. Division four represented by Cody Couch. That's right. You, this is the, I, I'm pretty sure you pinpointed Gareth as the man a year ago. <laughs> yes. From the great state of OH. I hope. Division 5 will be represented by Bo Drexler. Division 6, which has shown a propensity for winning this particular category in the past, Terry Holloway will represent Division 6. Uh, a little bit of confusion there. The wild card also went to Division 6. And similar to what Dan, Dan Casey did in Division 1, Terry Holloway won both the race of champions and the main event. So I'm not really sure who gets the nod to, uh, to be the second representative from division six on the motorcycle. So again, we're, we're leaving out a name there. Our apologies. And uh, the division seven representative Clayton Howie based on your immense knowledge of that field, big Jed, who gets the pick?
1: Um, We need to make this quick, Luke. I'm going Bo Drexler because it's B E A U and Bo is going to win.
0: motorcycle racing
1: yes no doubt
0: i'll go with cody couch d4 rep
1: all right luke there's a electric vehicle category um i guess division one is danny hoff which is probably the most experienced in the class division two is jay Traina. division three is steve collier yes that steve collier Uh, division four is brian tilson uh division five is alex ferguson Division six is Jesse Howell and division seven is Craig Merrilies You got Luke, this should be easy.
0: Well, I think the smart money is probably on Danny Hoff or I think Craig Merrilies is the guy from Sonoma that everybody talks about, like really has this electric vehicle thing figured out. I think there's some value to the experience of like racing a car like this every week and knowing exactly what it will do, but I'm going to buck that um i think steve collier is one of the most talented racers in the entire field regardless of class and i think obviously the most talented racer in the electric vehicle and i just think he'll figure it out that's my pick
1: great pick i would not argue with that whatsoever if you told me it was a wheelbarrow class steve collier is a great pick so good luck to him i'm going with danny hoff which to me seems like the obvious choice i know there's no such thing in racing but that's my pick because uh, Danny's the one I'm most familiar with and I see him do very, very well. So, Luke, that's the picks that are the representatives. We're wishing them all luck and we can't wait to report back on who actually gets this done. And that wraps us up. Got a hard stop here in just a few minutes. So, folks, a lot of stuff that we talked about on this show. I know that some of it struck a chord with you and you definitely got some opinion. We need to hear from you. The place to do that is Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Please reach out when you see the show post and uh, tell us what you think about anything we discussed. We can't wait to hear some chatter because anytime there's drama, we know you step in there and chatter. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Luke, are there any shouts? I know we kind of got a little bit of a hard stop here.
0: Man, I'll be honest. That million discussion knocked the wind right out of my sails. I think it, I think it just depleted the whole show. Everything we've talked about since then, we've just lacked the the gusto. So <laughs> as much as I would like to finish with a flurry, I, I got nothing. Shouts to Gareth Shepard.
1: <laughs> and no doubt about it. Um, so that wraps us up. Um, we obviously are on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Please reach out to us anytime and we want to wrap up the way that uh that we always wrap up and tell you thank you for listening we appreciate it make sure you go to our sponsors and support them every opportunity you get and that's it for this week it was a action-packed full show hope you enjoyed it we can't wait to talk to you real soon did i say can't wait talk to you we can't wait to talk to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing